Let's open our Bibles to the 16th Psalm. Psalm 16 is one of the Messianic Psalms in the book of Psalms, Messianic meaning that it has to do with the Christ. Because as we have learned from John chapter 1 and John chapter 4, Messiah, which is only used twice in the Old Testament, in Daniel chapter 9 is interpreted in the New Testament as Christ. So whenever we find, whenever we use the word Messianic or Messiah, we are referring to the Lord Jesus Christ, and this is a prophecy concerning Him. It begins with David, and then it transitions in the middle of the psalm toward the Lord Jesus Christ, where the words only apply to Jesus and not to David. Let us all stand together as we read in unison Psalm 16. Together. Preserve me, O God, for in Thee do I put my trust. O my soul, thou hast said unto the Lord, Thou art my Lord. My goodness extendeth not to thee, but to the saints that are in the earth, and to the excellent, in whom is all my delight. Their sorrows shall be multiplied that hasten after another God. Their drink offerings of blood will I not offer nor take up their names into my lips. The Lord is the portion of mine inheritance and of my cup. Thou maintainest my lot. The lines are fallen unto me in pleasant places. Yea, I have a goodly heritage. I will bless the Lord who hath given me counsel. My reins also instruct me in the night seasons. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad, and my glory rejoiceth. My flesh also shall rest in hope. For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, Neither wilt thou suffer thine Holy One to see corruption. Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Amen and amen. You may be seated. Much could be said from this wonderful psalm. Peter used it on the day of Pentecost as part of his sermon. Paul used it in Acts chapter 13 in Antioch of Pisidia as part of his sermon. Because as we get down toward the latter part of this psalm, these are verses describing the fact that God would resurrect Jesus from the dead and not allow his body to see corruption. He never corrupted as do other men who are put in the grave and they return to the dust from which they were taken. And it happens in short order. Preserve me, O God. For in thee put I my trust. I don't put my trust anywhere else. I certainly don't put it in the false gods of verse 3. I put it in you. Therefore, preserve me, keep me safe, and save me out of my troubles. Now David had said to the Lord in verse 2, O my soul, he speaks to himself as he does in Psalm 43 and 44, Thou art my Lord, my goodness extendeth not to thee. David knew that God did not need David. 
David knew that his righteousness or goodness did not add to the goodness or righteousness of God. He knew that his goodness didn't measure very high in God's standard of goodness or glory. For the Bible says, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. David admitted that as part of putting his trust in the Lord. Thou art my Lord, my goodness extendeth not to thee. You are so much better. You are so independent of me. You don't really need me. My goodness doesn't add to you. And I know that about my relationship to you. I'm not asking for you to reward me in this particular place according to my goodness, but to reward me according to your faithfulness and mercy. But then he does explain where he does serve the Lord and where his goodness does extend. And that's in the third verse. But to the saints that are in the earth. David's goodness extended to the saints in the earth. He was a lover of the brethren of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, we have a document on our website. What about tsunami relief? And I get questions now and then from people around the world who wonder why we are so hard-hearted relative to tsunami relief. And all they have to do is read the document because it's thorough enough. It's more thorough than anything they've ever heard before on the subject of charity. And it points out the fact that we have a priority of responsibilities. And it starts with our families, of course. If you don't take care of your family, you're worse than an infidel and you've denied the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ. But then it extends to poor saints. And the Bible tells us that very clearly. The churches of the New Testament never took a collection for poor pagans. Never. They took collections for poor saints. And here's David in the third verse teaching us the same thing. My goodness does extend and I do serve and I do help and I do add to the lives and I do bless the saints that are in the earth, the sanctified ones, the holy ones, the ones that are called to be saints, as the Roman saints were in Romans chapter 1 and verse 6. He calls them the excellent, because the rest of the world are the scum. Those who have no fear of God are the scum of the world. Amen. Sorry if you don't like it, it's just the way it is. Amen. David's goodness extended to the saints and to the excellent in whom is all my delight. He didn't have any left over for worldlings. It was all dedicated to the people of God. He was a servant of the church of God of the Old Testament. You don't find him taking donations, a good piece of flesh, a loaf of bread, and a flagon of wine to the Philistines. It really never crossed his mind to do such a thing. What crossed his mind was, is I'll go steal all the bread and the flagons of wine and the flesh from the Philistines, and I'll distribute it to the people of Israel. Because the focus is on things above, the focus is on the Lord, the focus is on the Lord's people. And so this is David putting his trust in the Lord and telling the Lord that though I cannot benefit you, because you are independent of me and of all men, I can benefit your saints in the earth, and they are the objects of my service and my delight. He says in verse 4, their sorrows are going to be multiplied that hasten after another God. Anyone that doesn't serve the Lord, anyone that's not a saint, those that are not the excellent in the earth, their sorrows are going to be multiplied because God's going to multiply them for worshiping the creature, for worshiping idols rather than the God of heaven. As we shall see more of in Romans chapter 1 in coming weeks. Their drink offerings of blood will I not offer. I won't participate in their religious rites. And so we don't celebrate Christ's Mass. 
We don't celebrate Baal Mass. We don't celebrate Saturnalia. We don't celebrate a day of honor to Eostra or Ishtar in Easter. We don't do that because we won't participate in their offerings and we won't take up their names into our lips. We won't even give them lip service because we despise them. The Lord, and it's capital L-O-R-D, the Lord is the portion of mine inheritance and of my cup. The Lord God of Israel, the Lord Jehovah, He's my portion. He's everything that I need. I don't need another religion. I don't need anything else to make me happy or to fulfill me. He is my portion that I know the God of heaven and that I walk with Him and He walks with me. This is the psalmist. He says of that, of that kind of a life, Thou maintainest my lot. The Lord took care of his lot, his portion. Your portion in a real estate sense of the word is your lot. And your lot has property lines, as the next verse is going to point out. The lines are fallen unto me in pleasant places. Yea, I have a goodly heritage. David made God his portion. The Lord preserved his lot. Those things that made up his life. Here, under the metaphor of a piece of property. And David said, my property lines have fallen out to me in pleasant places. I'm in Israel with the people of God. I'm in Israel where the temple of God and his worship is located. All of these are pleasant things to me, where the Lord is my portion. I don't care about their drink offerings. I don't even want to pronounce their names in any favorable way. And so David is thankful for the good things that God had given him. And brethren, if, if we have our hearts right and the Lord is our portion... And he's our cup. We know that he maintains our lot. The lines indeed have fallen unto us in pleasant places. Our property lines take in a very beautiful piece of property. It's to know God while we're here in this world. It's to walk with him. It's to have his church, his word, his saints, his spirit. These are blessings undescribable in the ultimate sense. Thank you, Lord, for them. I have a goodly heritage. Therefore, I will bless the Lord in that seventh verse. I will bless the Lord because here he describes how the Lord preserved him and kept him because he's given me counsel. David faced many dilemmas in his life where he did not know what to do. Psalm 107 describes a man being at his wit's end. That's a Bible expression. I was at my wit's end. I didn't know what to do. But I will bless the Lord who hath given me counsel. The Lord gives instruction and advice, and sometimes he does it in the night, as the rest of this verse describes. My rains also instruct me in the night seasons. God would come to David and correct things that he was thinking or give him solutions to dilemmas, so that when he woke in the morning, he was ready to do the will of God, and he knew what he ought to do. Job 33 describes this as Elihu tells us in Job 33 that God oftentimes instructs men in the night. And when you are asking God for mercy and for help, and when you are seeking to walk with Him and to follow His commandments, God will instruct you in the night. And Elihu says, God oftentimes does this with men. But of course, if you fill yourself with the filth of this world, and you go to bed with the filth of this world filling your mind, you're not going to be instructed. But if you go to bed seeking the Lord's face, and you love him, he will instruct your reins in the night season. Your reins are the pieces of leather that are attached to a horse's bridle that direct its head and its body follows. And so the Lord 
deals with us in our inside affections where he can direct them so that we will follow him more closely and more perfectly. Thank you, Lord, for such mercy toward us. Now we, now we move toward the Lord Jesus Christ more directly. I have set the Lord always before me. David always had Jesus Christ as the object of his life. The Bible tells us he set his face to go to Jerusalem. Dying on the cross in Jerusalem was very important to him and the chief purpose of his life. And so his face was always intent. He was distracted. He was bored. He was troubled to waste time anywhere else because his face was always set toward Jerusalem. I have set the Lord, my Father in heaven, and his will for my life always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Because God was always with the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ was not moved, though he faced many circumstances where he could have been moved. He could have been moved in Gethsemane. He could have been moved in the cross. But he still had all of his trust and hope in God. Because he was at his right hand. Verse 9, Therefore my heart is glad, and my glory rejoiceth, my flesh also shall rest in hope. Because God is at my right hand, my heart is full of joy, my tongue, which is His glory, is rejoicing. I hope you all know that. The word glory here is for His tongue. Your tongue is called your glory in the book of Psalms because your tongue is what makes audible sounds of words or singing to give glory to God. And if you were to read this passage quoted in Acts chapter 2, you would find Peter by the Holy Ghost using the word tongue for the word glory so that we don't need a dictionary, we just need to read our Bibles. My heart is glad, my tongue rejoices, and my body shall rest in hope. Because God is at my right hand, I can die. I can die, and I can be speaking joyful things about it, and my heart can be glad, and my body is full of hope, because I know I'm not going to be left there. Because God is at my right hand. We come to the next verse. Ten. Four. This is why my heart's glad, my tongue is rejoicing, and my body is full of hope. For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell. This is a synecdoche, where part of the being is put for the whole being, referring to his body. His soul didn't... And then we have another word that we need to understand, and it's the word hell. This isn't the lake of fire. This is the grave. When the Bible says, Withhold not correction from the child, for if thou beatest him with the rod, he shall not die. Thou shalt deliver his soul from hell. That doesn't mean that if you use corporal punishment on your children, you can save them from the lake of fire. It means if you use corporal punishment on your children, you can deliver them from an untimely and early death because you will teach them the discipline of life. And here's, it's the word, it's grave. And we're to understand that by comparing Scripture because when we see the context here and we see the context in Acts 2 and we see the context in Acts 13, it's talking about a body not corrupting in the grave. Four, this is why my heart is glad, my tongue is rejoicing and singing your praises, and my body is full of hope. For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, you will not leave my body in the grave. Neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. 
This is the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. He wasn't going to stay there. And that's why his heart was glad. That's why his tongue rejoiced. And that's why his body was full of hope. And this is what he knew was going to follow. If he had the faith to lay down his life in death, he knew that God would be with him and would resurrect him from the dead, but that these things would follow. Thou wilt show me the path of life. There is a path that leads to eternal life in heaven. And I'm going to show the Lord Jesus Christ that God had already decreed. And the Lord Jesus Christ knew it. Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. I know that heaven has the fullest joy possible and that I will be there forever. And therefore, I'm going to have pleasures forevermore. The Bible tells us that there is pleasure attached to sin. Hebrews chapter 11. But it tells us it is the pleasures of sin for a season only. They will come back to bite you haunt you, destroy you, and damn you without a Savior. But in heaven, there are pleasures forevermore. They are the fullest of pleasures. Look at this verse. In thy presence is fullness of joy. Not partial joy, not a little joy, but fullness of joy in how long? Forevermore. So we've got the highest quality for the longest duration. And this is what Jesus saw. No wonder the Bible says in Hebrews 12, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of God. Amen. Enjoying every bit of verse 11. That is our Savior. He's been raised from the dead. And brethren, he is the first fruits of them that slept. Therefore, when we think about death, if our hearts are right, and if we have learned the Word of God and laid hold of it by faith, our hearts can be glad, our tongues can rejoice, and our bodies can be full of hope. Go ahead and put me in the box, lower me into the ground, because I'm coming out, and when I come out, I will find the path of life, directed by angels leading my chariot, that will take my soul and my body to meet the Lord Jesus Christ, where there is fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. This is Psalm 16. Put your trust in the Lord. Your goodness doesn't extend to Him, but His goodness extends to you. And your goodness ought to extend to one another, who are the saints in the earth and the excellent, in whom should be all your delight. A true measure of a child of God and a proof of eternal life is love of the brethren. Love of the brethren. May the Lord bless the reading of this word, that we would love the Lord Jesus Christ that is spoken of here by prophecy. Peter loved it, preached it on Pentecost. Paul loved it, preached it in his first sermon in Acts 13. May we love it as well.